Welcome to a new episode of Misaligned. This week on the podcast, we have Nick Bombrack from Dr. Manhattan and the Record Podcast. But before we jump into the conversation with him, I just want to remind you guys that Misaligned is part of the Modern Vinyl family of podcasts, which you can find at modern-vinyl.com. The Vinyl Crawl is back this week that we are recording this, and it's basically a podcast where they pair a beer with an album and it's pretty cool to listen to even though you know I'm not necessarily someone who drinks craft beer all the time or all that much anyway it's kind of fun to hear these guys correlate the two things and put them together in a podcast but we're going to move on to our conversation now and Nick how are you doing today I'm good thank you thanks for uh hitting me up to do this no problem and I have finally caught up on your podcast, so we can, you know, go ahead and start there since that's your current project. But are you doing anything else other than that right now? Uh, aside from raising a child, no, that's <laughs> it. <laughs> Those are the only two things right now. Nice. Well, when did you really get the idea for the record podcast and how did you get that started? Uh, so when Dr. Manhattan was touring heavily, so that was probably 2008-ish, you know, a couple years before and after that, um, we had been messing around with video, you know, recording just goofy stuff for ourselves, and then also just always kind of waxing on about movies and, you know, films and wanting to do short movies. And, um, you know, eventually after coming home from tour enough times, people would ask, you know, oh, tour, how was it? What'd you get to see? And you know, kind of answering the same questions of, you know, well, we slept in a van in a Walmart parking lot and ate peanut butter cereal sandwiches and <laughs> made like $25 a night. Like after doing that enough times, I started to, you know, we, we all started to realize, wow, people really, there's like a disconnect between what people think happens on tour and what happens on tour, especially for a band at our level. So, right. um, so initially what I wanted to do and what I've had in the back of my head, you know, hopefully one day I might be able to do it, but, uh, was to, you know, shoot a documentary on kind of like the real, you know, life of touring. And, and then once I started looking into it being like, you know, I'd have to leave whatever job I'd have to do this and kind of pursue, I was like, you know, that's a pretty serious on taking. And, um, you know, that in 2011 or 12, I'd just started like hearing about what podcasts are and listening a little bit. And I was like, well, you know, I could just see if I could set this up myself and, you know, maybe just go this route. And, um, I recorded two episodes, which are the first two episodes of the podcast. They're with uh, Mike Kaminsky, who's a band manager, and my buddy Owen Pye, who's a folk singer. And I did those two, and I was like, okay, those went well. And then I listened back to them, and I was like, oh, my God, I hate my voice. <laughs> I cannot stand the sound of my voice. So I just yeah. couched those and didn't do anything with them for a while. And then um, a few years later, I you know, at the, I think it was about a year ago from now. Um, I was like, you know, I'm just going to listen back them and see, you know, how bad they are. And I listened to them. And I was like, you know, these aren't so bad. And, you know, I think I could do these, you know, better than, than they were done before. And, uh, I don't know, ever since like middle school-ish, I've always wanted to get into radio. Like I used to announce the volleyball and basketball games. And, um, but I kind of wanted to do this, uh, inadvertently and then just find my way to, you know, in the last year or so taking it more seriously, especially with 
uh, me not being in the band and having the time to do it. Um, yeah, it just kind of just kind of worked out that way. And I posted the first two episodes and uh, on SoundCloud and said, "Hey, you know, people will listen to these and let me know what you think about them." And I got good feedback, so I was like, "All right, guess I'll you know just keep doing more of these until I don't do any more of these anymore." <laughs> right, and I feel like podcasting is one of those things where it seems a lot more intimidating until you just sit down and do it and that sort of thing. Because I know when Chris asked me to start this podcast, I was like, a podcast, what am I going to (laughs) do? And I had the same problem you did. I hated listening to myself. So I would kind of cheat when I would edit the podcast. I would kind of skip through my parts if I knew I didn't you know, screw anything up or have too many ums or whatever that I would have to cut out because, you know, sometimes if you pause and then just say um and then pause again, it's kind of like taking up time. And I feel like people's time is valuable and I'm very thankful to all the people who already listen to this. So I kind of just try to clean it up as much as I can. And I've tried to become, you know, aware of what I'm saying and how I'm saying it this way. I have hopefully fewer mistakes. Yeah. And I mean, it did take a while for me to get used to listening to my own voice. And this is going to be the 40th episode of the podcast. I believe technically the 41st since we had an episode zero just to, you know, like get the podcast feed set up and everything and kind of introduce it. So since I do the interview episodes like this one by myself, I kind of have a lot more to do than just our regular episodes, which currently it is just Megan and I hosting those. So we've already gone through an entire set of hosts, basically, because when it started, it was myself, Ashley, and Caitlin. And Ashley and Caitlin both are no longer on the show, and Megan joined on at the beginning of this year. So it's kind of like, even though we're only 40, 41 episodes into this podcast, you know, it's already kind of gone through a handful of different iterations of what we thought it was going to be. And I think the listeners have been okay with how this has progressed and everything. And because I basically binge listen to yours in chunks, (laughs) it was, you know, very easy to notice how quick you can improve on things, you know, just as small as audio quality and that sort of thing and background noise And I think a lot of people don't realize just how easy it is because I know personally I have a blue Yeti, which is just a USB mic. Yeah. And then I record my audio separately from the Skype track and have other people record on there. And if it's, you know, someone like you who has their own mic because you do your own podcast and everything. So you obviously know how to do all of this stuff. And then, you know, Megan will do the same thing. So It sounds a little difficult at first, but once you just kind of sit down and run through it once or twice and do it, it's a lot easier than a lot of people would think. And I mean, editing is probably the most intimidating thing, I would say, as well, because I don't know what you use, but I use Logic to edit. And I had gone to Drexel for music industry, so I had used Logic in Pro Tools before. But I didn't stay on the tech track, so I stopped using them, you know, for like two, two and a half years there. Yeah. So I kind of looked at Logic and I was like, what on earth is this thing? And then after, you know, a few podcasts, I was like, all right, I think I have a hang of this again. So, but I don't do anything, you know, crazy with like EQ and compression and that sort of thing. I kind of 
just let it be. And I'm sure there are some parts of the podcast that could be slightly better. I know when we have guests on and they don't record on their end, it can get a little fuzzy and everything for that track. So I kind of just try to do what I can and make it, you know, listenable because I mean, I've listened to some pretty big podcasts Mm -hmm. that have had pretty terrible audio and it's like, you still have thousands (laughs) upon thousands of people listening to this or like when people call in on, you know, ESPN podcasts or even sometimes on not necessarily Bill Simmons podcast himself, but the ones that the ringer, are doing now if people call in on cell phones or something you can definitely sure. tell the difference there yeah so i mean skype is like a necessary evil almost in podcasting well you i mean just just in that little bit you talking there i can already tell you take yeah uh, this very seriously <laughs> way more than i and not and, and in a very good way like you like you said you you know, you use logic. I mean, I use Adobe Audition, which, you know, you can really use anything to do it. But right. like, just in the way you were saying that going about it, like I just record over Skype and, you know, if someone has a mic, they can use it. If they don't, I'll just, and I use a eCam, which is call recorder. So it's yeah. just through Skype. And um, that's pretty much it. On my end, I've said it in previous episodes and my setup is kind of inadvertently like ridiculously set up i even though i had the time to buy stuff i just stupidly searched like mark Marin wtf setup <laughs> and they pulled up an, a samson board so i got that and it i and this was a bad sign from the beginning they they didn't show a picture of the inputs or output or like the the outputs on the back or anything so i was like oh well if he's using it it's got to have like a usb output and who knows even who wrote that if that was actually anything close to what Mark Marin uses. Right. So I just bought it hook, line, and sinker and then got it and realized there's no USB output. And I was like, all right. So then instead of just returning it, I was like, well, no, I'll just go to Best Buy and buy an extra thing and make this really complicated. So, <laughs> I, so I've just kind of, um, you know, now I've just have this set up and I use it. And I've I've actually in a few episodes got myself into trouble because I have to check in advance if it's recording through the mic because right. since i have my laptop close enough it'll pick it up kind of at the same volume anyways so i've i've gotten myself into trouble i don't i don't know enough about audio to you know to have a nice little simple setup i kind of just bought things mistakenly like all things in my life i just make the mistake first and learn from it but this is a little more of an expensive mistake so now i'm just kind of writing it out for now and, <laughs> and then eventually i'll fix it at some point when i want to make my life easier Yeah, and I mean, my knowledge of audio is pretty limited to what I learned at Drexel, which, you know, is helpful when you're doing simpler audio things like this. Like, I could not go into a studio and just set everything up and make it work. Like, I don't get all of that still, even though I had classes specifically for that. I'm sure I just, you know, forgot all of it because I was like, I'm doing business anyway. I don't know why I want to know all of this stuff and I don't have the patience for it. Yeah. But I've noticed that a lot of your guests you have either met at some point or another. Have you had any so far that you have not met in person? Yeah. So okay. um, Mike Falumley, who is the drummer of Smoking Popes and previous drummer of Alkaline Trio, I had never met him. And that was kind of like the idea about this whole podcast is like, oh, I'll talk to buddies because like, you know, listening to podcasts that I like, it seemingly like, you know, people who do it well, they sound like they're talking to a friend and then there's a lot of stories they can bring up and you can hear about this inside baseball about whatever industry they're in or, you know, how they know each other. So like that was like 
kind of the easiest way for me to get into doing this was talking to people I knew. I don't have any right. journalism background. I, you know, even though I wanted to be in radio, I never pursued it. And, um, so I just kind of cheated my comfort zone and was like, all right, I'll talk to people I know. And then at some point, um, a couple of buddies of mine have a management company that manage Mike Flumley's new band, the bigger empty. So they emailed me like, Hey, you know, we'd love to get him on your show. And that was like the first time I was like, Oh shit. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Do you swear on yours? I don't know. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Oh no, this is a problem. Like if I, you know, I only have so many friends. So eventually at some point I'm gonna have to start talking to people I don't know. And so that was kind of the first one that, I've, oh, I'm trying, I don't even know if I've had other ones really aside from that one, but, and especially it was doubly difficult because I don't really know Smoking Pope's catalog. So my right. knowledge was all kind of in his years with Alkaline Trio and then a little bit of the research I did beforehand, which, you know, again, these are things that professional people who have podcasts would do. They'd listen to all the stuff, they'd get set <laughs> up, but I was just like, you know, I don't really do any of this for any other podcast, so I'm just going to roll with it and, <laughs> and see how it goes and... Um, now I'm starting to kind of branch into more people. Like I've done a couple of people where I've only met them like a time. So I still don't really know a lot about them. Like Nick Woods from direct hit. I'd only met like once or twice. And, but there are, yeah, typically I sh I've done it with people that I've, you know, encountered lots of times so we can just get right into it and it's a comfortable thing. And, um, now I'm starting to tweet out to bands that I, you know, love or like really know a lot about. So at least there's that it's not, you know, I have the comfort of knowing their, you know, their body of work so I can talk to them and kind of get into it and they'll feel comfortable with me. So I think that's eventually what I'll get into more is talking to people who I just am fans of and want to have, you know, hopefully open conversations with. And then, you know, every now and then I'll probably fall flat on my face and it'll make for a good episode. So either way, it's a win, I'm sure. Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, professional podcasters and preparing and everything. And I feel like the way I handle this podcast because it's something that I do for modern vinyl and it's something I was asked to do. It wasn't something right. I necessarily just started on my own. I feel like I handled this podcast a little differently from the sports podcast I do called Sports Up. I do that with my friend MJ. And I'll have to check that out. I didn't know about that. Yeah, thank you. I mean, we have like literally maybe 10 listeners if we're lucky because sports is so clogged that it's kind of hard to oh. push it out and everything but yeah. you know we don't do it on a set schedule like this comes out every thursday okay and since i've started doing the interview episodes on the off weeks of the regular episodes i don't think i've really missed a week yet because i kind of just ran with it and yeah. people listen to them so i just keep doing them and I feel like with sports up, you know, stuff happens spur of the moment in sports. So it's like that one will record it random days and then I'll basically edit it right away and get it up right away. I don't give it, you know, a few days to sit and then edit right. it like I do with this because sports is a more pressing topic right. most of the time. You know, if you have the NBA draft, you can't wait like a week and talk about sure. the NBA draft because no one cares about it by then. It's like Makes summer sense. league's already starting, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that sort of thing. But I've noticed that it's been gaining a little more attention because I've had publicists ask me if I want to have, you know, so-and-so client of theirs on the podcast so to me, that's been pretty cool to see because yeah. I also run Hi-Fi Noise. So the publicists are typically 
emailing me press releases for that stuff anyway. So then, you know, if they want one of their clients on a podcast or they think they would be a good fit, they just email me separately about that. And that's how I've gotten a few of the bands that I've interviewed on here so far. And, you know, with you, I had started listening to the record podcast before we had talked about you being on this episode. And then I went and listened to Dr. Manhattan's self-titled. I actually did that today. I was a little late on it, <laughs> yeah, but I right. was like, all right, I have to li- listen to at least one release. So I <laughs> sound like I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> that was probably the the one to listen to. I mean, it's our first, you know, released into the world kind of a thing aside from demos and EP. And that's the one that probably most people know about more than anything. So it's probably the, if you would have asked, I probably would have said to start there. Yeah. And it, I mean, it was the first thing that popped up on Apple Music. So I was like, all right, this is the one. <laughs> yeah, that, that works out too. Yeah. So why don't we go ahead and dig into Dr. Manhattan a little bit? You guys yeah. ended up on Vagrant Records yep. back in, what was it, 2006, 2007? How did that really happen for you guys? Yeah. So um, our manager at the time, Mike Bakta, he managed us and some other Chicago bands, Wax on Radio, some other ones. Um, he, when we kind of, you know, got aligned with him, he started pushing, you know, us. And so the album was done, basically. Like we were, when we met him, I think we were finishing the album. And once the album was done, mixed and mastered, that's what we started bringing to labels. And he, he knew people at Vagrant and some other labels that size and a couple of the majors. And um, we eventually started getting, you know, uh, reps come into shows and stuff and we'd meet and hang out. Um, actually the first big bite we had, um, oh, this is going to kill me. There was a label. They're not a label anymore. Um, I think scary kids, scaring kids used to be on it. Um, Oh God, I gotta look this up real quick. Um, <laughs> no worries. I can talk still at the same time. But so, uh, you know, we started going out to dinners and stuff like that after we had a big Metro show and we went out with, uh, you know, kind of just random people, the dinners and stuff and hanging out. And eventually, uh, Vagrant came around. Um, I think we went to Lou Malnati's in the city and had pizza and hung out with Dan Gill, who was the guy who ended up signing us. Um, and we, it, we really hit it off with them. He seemed to have the right idea with what we wanted. And for me personally, it was like a huge thing. Cause one of the first big albums I got into was, um, when my buddy Sean brought over uh, a year on the streets, which is a vagrant compilation. And then after that, another year on the streets, which was when like, you know, Alkaline Trio saves the day, get up kids was all on it. So that was like a big, uh, a big thing for me. And so now then vagrant were eventually, you know, like we're talking to vagrant and I'm like, okay, this is weird. Like, I know most, most of my life I believed it's not predetermined, but that's a weird thing that just happened. And, uh, so then, um, at the same time we were talking to Vagrant, uh, this guy, Andrew McGinnis, these two guys, Andrew McGinnis and Pete Traberga from Epic Records, which is, you know, a major label. Um, I think Modest Mouse is on at the time and stuff. Uh, he can those guys came to a show and they were super into us. And so we were kind of talking to both labels at the same time and we were going back and forth, uh, between Vagrant, smaller, I mean, smaller in quotes, smaller label and, you know, Epic was just a major and, Eventually, we just decided, I'm like, well, you know, we feel like if we go to a major, we're going to kind of get swept under the rug. If we don't do well in the first album, you know, that's it. Then, you know, it'll kind of be the famous story of major label band. Right. So, um, 
so we talked to Vagrant about that and they said, no, you know, we want to grow you. We, you know, we know you're a small band and that's like part of the allure and, you know, we know what to do with you. We've had this band, this band, this band, and, you know, we feel good about this. So we all agreed on it and we, you know, we, uh, signed with Vagrant and, you know, at the time it felt really good. Like I said, especially for me, I had that emotional connection to, uh, to Vagrant. And so it just all kind of made sense. And the first the first label I was talking about was Immortal Records, which okay. I, th- I think it was Immortal. It was, it was, I, I just know they had like, no, that sounds like it's too big. So, you know, <laughs> this is, this is me being, not knowing what I'm talking about. I should, I should have looked this up right before I did this, but, um, but that it was a label that ended up folding actually. And, and it was, it was pretty much right after we had talked to them, we were like, okay, this seems like it's cool. I mean, you know, the label doesn't have really bands we like on it, but the guy's really nice and, you know, it seems like a cool thing. And then like, you know, a year later they folded. So <laughs> like, All right, right. I guess that was good. We didn't go after that. Yeah. And you guys did two releases on Vagrant, right? No, we did. Oh, okay. So no, so it's a little confusing. So I can understand the confusion. We did, <laughs> when we signed to Vagrant, it was in like 2007 ish and the the album was done but then they wanted to remix it and kind of put a name to it the guy who recorded it john elvin also mixed it and helped master it too or at least was involved in the process and um but they wanted someone with a name on it so then we started uh sending out uh the single off the album big chomper to uh other engineers and don't the only one I really remember that we got once we got a few back. And the one I remember was from Sean Lopez, which he's like, he's involved with Chino from the, dis, or, uh, oh my, from the Deftones. They have a side project. He's like in some, into some really cool, like off, off the path bands. And, um, he gave us a mix and it was really cool. But eventually we, uh, got linked up with Casey Bates and he did a mix of it. And, um, that's who we ended up doing the remix with. Um, but when we signed to Vagrant, they're like, well, we want to put out something in the meantime because we're waiting. Basically, they wanted to sit on the album because it was like, okay, it's ready. Oh, but now this other album's coming out. So, you know, there's like this whole, you know, cap cap space at Best Buy and it's going to be competing with this album. So they wanted to keep sitting on it and get past these other albums. And eventually it was like, well, it's Christmas and now we're competing with like the Foo Fighters. <laughs> so it was like, it just kept like, you know, when we signed there, it was done. But by the time right. it came out, it was a year old. And, um, when we get, yeah. So when we got there, they're like, Oh, well let's put some songs off of the album. Let's put out an EP. And so they picked a few songs. Um, they, what did they pick? They picked some, some songs from the previous EP that we had put out just locally. And, um, I think maybe a song or two off the, off the full length. And it was just called, are you bald? And it was just like something they put out online, I think and did some small prints. Well, so when we were on tour, we could sell stuff and then, yeah. And then eventually I think it was March, 2008, uh, the self-titled album came out. Right. So it was more like, you know, 1.2 releases. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So then, um, one full length, one EP, and we went with them. We went to them to talk about Jam Dreams, the album after that, but that mm-hmm. uh, did not happen. So, <laughs> so that's how that's how uh, that was kind of our our time of Vegan. It was it was short and kind of sweet, right? And who did you work with for Jam Dreams? Um, so we um, we recorded it. Okay, so basically the story of Jam Dreams is we. You know, we had some songs. We we had a song or two already by the time self-titled came out for 
uh, for another album. And so we eventually, you know, we started to work on that. And once Vagrant started to see, you know, how many albums we sold, which wasn't many, it was like, you know, 2000 or something. I think they kind of thought it would just pick up and do its thing and they can just kind of, you know, support that instead of having to really get in and dig deep with it. And um, so the album didn't do super well. And then we started, you know, with the contract, it was like, you know, if the first album does this, then the next album you'll have this budget. And so then we we assumed we'd have this budget, like whatever it was, $10,000 a record or something. And then you know, every conversation we had with them, it was less and less. Well, now you have eight. Well, now you have 6,500. Well, now you have 4,000. And then we were kind of getting the picture like, okay, I, th- I think this is going south. Like, I don't think they want to put out this album. And then eventually we got the news. Yeah, they don't, you know, Vega doesn't want to put out the album. So then we were in a bind of, you know, so then that happens. Vagrant dips out. And then our booking agent dips out. And then our manager dips out. So then we were just kind of back to square one. And um, all at that time, you know, when we mixed the self-titled album with Casey, he said, like, you know, I want to do an album with you guys, like a full album. I don't want to just mix it. I want to record. I have, like, I know you guys. I know what you're about. I want to record a whole album with you guys. And then um, in 2008, when the album came out, our one of our first, like, big tours was touring with Saves the Day for their acoustic tour for um, around the time Under the Boards came out. And we got really close with um, Chris and... Uh, Chris and Dave at the time, Dave's not in the band anymore, but, um, and Chris was like super, you know, weirdly randomly enough back to the vagrant, you know, connection of my own youth. Chris really got into our band. Like he told us on several occasions, you know, I I like two bands, the Beatles and you guys. And it was really weird, especially like we weren't diehard saves the day fans when we were growing up, but, you know, definitely liked the band and, you know, was a big fan of, you know, what I'd heard at the time. So, and we had seen, you know, we toured with them. So we saw some, you know, they're diehard fans going nuts for them. So we're like, okay, so this guy who writes these songs has really likes our band. And there's these people who love his band. So, you know, that should make sense then. Then they'll love us too. And so that tour was just kind of, I mean, it was really good for us in a lot of ways. But, you know, people who want to go see Saves the Day Acoustic don't necessarily want to see Dr. Manhattan full blast loud as possible. So, (laughs) right. Um, but similarly, as Casey was saying, I want to record an album with you. Chris has his own home studio in Chico, California, and he's like, I want to record an album with you. So when Vagrant and everyone dipped out, um, I had been talking to Casey, and he's like, here's the deal. If you come out to Seattle, I'll record you for free. And we're like, okay. And at the same exact time, you know, talking to Chris, oh, Vagrant just left all like, goes, if you come out to Chico, I'll record you for free. So then we were in this situ, this great situation, and we're like, well, how do we do make this happen? And so in talking to both of them, um, Chris was like, okay, how about I fly out to Seattle? I'll fly out myself on my own dime. I'll produce the album in case you record it. So we're like, okay, sounds incredible. Sounds like the all-star situation. So right. we played, I think we played a couple shows on our way out to Seattle, drove ourselves out there. Chris flew himself out there. And then we spent like two weeks record, uh, recording everything but the drums. We recorded the drums in Illinois and then brought them up there and then and then kind of worked on the songs. We had sent Chris the demos in advance. So by the time we got there, the songs, Chris had different ideas for what he wanted to do producer-wise. And so we you know worked with him and kind of chopped up the drums and like shifted them around and remade the songs and then record recorded guitar, bass, keys, vocals around that. So... Um, yeah, that was the kind of the jam dreams recording process was kind of a weird one, but it was 
it was also awesome in a lot of ways and especially because you know two great you know great people great people in the music world in my eyes you know on their own dime and time spent you know spent a lot of hours and put out this album that you know we we really love so although although it didn't come out on vagrant which i still i still wish they would have just put it out just to see like i feel like it couldn't have done worse than 2000 records so yeah you know i wish they kind of would have just put it out just to see but um you know it happens but uh but yeah so that came with uh, our friend had a small label called cassette deck so he just put it out and uh that was pretty much it for uh for yeah for jam dreams awesome and the band is from the chicago area right yeah, we all grew up in Wakanda, which is like an hour north, uh, northwestish of Chicago. Right. Yeah, so we all went to school there, and that's where we all met. Nice. And what is the Chicago scene like? I know there have been quite a few artists that I personally listen to that come from there. I know Evan Weiss is from the area, yeah. and I listen to a bunch of his projects that he does. Yeah. But I've I've never been to the city, so I'm always interested in asking people who live in cities I've never been to kind of generally what their city is like yeah well <laughs> unfortunately you probably picked the worst person to talk about this because <laughs> I, I live up in the burbs but um you know from going to sh- you know going to shows in the city and playing shows in the city over the years it's i mean i i have a bias because i'm from here and fell in love with certain venues here but i mean right. i i think it's you know i think it's one of the best cities to come play shows in, and it has some of the best venues i mean my favorite venue of all time is the metro in chicago just for like you know the history of it the way it looks and the way it sounds and playing on that stage we got to play it a few times and um it's just you know hands down my absolute favorite venue uh, to see shows at and to play shows at and um but otherwise i mean since since then i mean for a while when we played shows it was like there's only a handful of venues we'd play it was like the metro the bee kitchen subterranean and then like kind of sporadic ones but now there's a lot of like smaller house show kind of venues and like all kinds of places to play so you know if i was in a touring band now like coming to chicago like it's seemingly there's just like endless opportunities to play all kinds of different shows so it really like you know really grew into all you know really big scene even more so than it than it was in a lot of diy kind of shows so it's i mean it's really cool i mean there's I don't I don't know how you could get yourself out here to do to come see a show or to come for a trip but it's <laughs> I mean for more than one reason for the food and for the shows it's you know it's a really cool scene out here and like you said yeah Evan has like 36 bands that he's in I mean <laughs> Mike Kinsella has you know 100 bands he's in so there's like there's constantly great shows of great bands and so many bands that you know I don't even know about and that's kind of the fun too is you know going to see these shows of bands you never heard of so yeah it's, uh, it's a really good yeah it's a really cool scene and funnily enough i've actually heard of quite a few of the venues you mentioned because when i was at drexel i was taking a booking class and i happened to have chicago as one of the dates i had to try and book for i think it was the reign of kindo we were trying to book a tour for (laughs) because our professor does booking as her you know day job and everything for feta booking in philly so basically we just each had one or two cities and we would spend our night class which it kind of sucked that it was a night class because all of these people are probably like why are you calling me at like eight o'clock at night or something to try and book a show but yeah i was trying to you know get either beat kitchen or subterranean but unfortunately the class 
was over, the 10 weeks was over because Drexel's on a quarter system before we could finalize the dates. Uh, but I think she just ended up having either her interns or someone else do it. So Well, that's pretty sweet for that band. I mean, you got like a yeah. whole team of people working to get you a tour. I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, and with only two cities per person or so, it's like you're getting very focused yeah, exactly. <laughs> work for these, this tour and everything. Yeah, bands out there, listen up. Get get someone to book your shows who is uh, <laughs> who has a an army of people who can work for you. Yeah. And I mean, that was kind of the cool thing about going to Drexel too, was that you did get these really hands-on experiences and it varied from class to class because you could take, you know, a booking class, you could take a management class and all these different options especially on the business side as far as how hands-on the tech side was i'm not entirely sure but obviously at drexel with them having a music industry specific major a lot of the kids in the major played in bands anyway sure so for the tech side it's like everyone just recorded each other's bands yeah and it sort of all worked out within that little group there basically so that was always a cool thing. But yeah, Chicago's yeah. been one of those cities I've wanted to visit. I actually applied to one of the schools there when I was applying oh, which to one? colleges. Columbia? Yes. Nice. And yeah, I had some friends go there. Yeah, I got in and I kind of looked at it. I was like, mm, Chicago. And then I ended up in Philadelphia anyway. So it's <laughs> like I kind of ended up towards the east coast while philadelphia is the east coast but chicago's more towards it than actual but yeah it was definitely basically choosing which big city i wanted to go to and that sort of thing but well if if you ever need an excuse to come to chicago i'd say riot fest is like one of the best excuses now that that exists as as a great music fest i mean it's hands down my favorite one that i've ever been to in terms of like how how it's set up, all the different kind of bands that play, the good food that's there, the vendors, like just the overall vibe of it. It's 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 a really good time. Yeah, I'll definitely have to make that work one of these times. I know I debated going to the Colorado one okay, one yeah. of the years, but I didn't end up going. I don't know why. I probably just didn't want to go by myself. Because, sure. <laughs> so, I mean, we have some cousins who live in Colorado, but their kids are younger than I am. And then they are obviously older than I am, so they wouldn't have gotcha. wanted to go anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, festivals are kind of tricky when you want to travel to them. I think the furthest I've traveled is from Orange County up to San Francisco to go to Outside Lands, Okay. which I also did go to by myself, but I have a friend who lives up there, so I like crashed on our floor, which yeah. sleeping on a floor during a festival is not the best thing you can do for your body when you're walking around all day and then you know she lived i would say a mile from golden gate park and i made the mistake of walking to and from the festival (laughs) and for anyone who does not know how hilly san francisco is that was a terrible idea as well yeah so i just had lots of terrible ideas that weekend and um I think I didn't even end up going to the last day because I had stepped in like a hole in the grass and kind of twisted my leg. And I was like, (laughs) I do not want to walk all day just because I think the third day I only wanted to see the killers. And naturally, they were like the last band on. Oh, yeah. And then I would have still had to drive back to Modesto to go 
back to my cousin's house and pick up my mom that night or very early the next morning. So I just said, never mind. And just, you know, yeah. left that morning to go back instead because we had to, then we still had to drive all the way back because my mom had work, I believe. So it was a little hectic, but yeah, it was still a good time. I saw, you know, Macklemore and Ryan Lewis for the first time at oh, Outside nice. Lands and some other bands I had not seen before. I think Kanye was there that year as well. Wow. And it was definitely a crazy lineup. Um, but yeah, festivals are definitely crazy. I'm going to one this weekend. I'll be at the Taste of Chaos festival lineup. Oh, sure. <laughs> because I, I think it's, they're only doing the festival for the San Bernardino date, I believe. Otherwise, it was more like a tour. Right. Oh, I see. So, so it is the actual festival. It's not just the tour. Yeah. So it's like, okay. I believe my friend and I are getting there in time for the early November who play at 4.20 or 4.30. And then we'll be there until, I believe, Dashboard closes out and finishes up at 11. Okay. So it's a decent chunk. I mean, doors yeah. or gates, whatever you want to call them, are at 2. But I just was like, mm, it's going to be like 90-something degrees out there. And I don't uh. really want to you know, <laughs> bake in the sun for an extra two right. hours if we don't want to see anyone until you know 4 or something. Sure. So... We're going to try and time it so we get there right before they go on. Nice. Sounds like some adult decision making. <laughs> yeah. And of course, by the time everyone hears this, all of this will have already happened. So yeah. So you had fun then at the fest? Yes. A lot of fun. <laughs> Great sets, everyone. So are you hitting up Riot Fest then this year? Um, so I, I had a good solid streak of like five or six years that I went. And then mm -hmm. last year, my daughter Charlotte was born right around the time of Right Fest. So that was the first one that I missed. And now subsequently her birthday is going to kind of fall every year ish around then. Yeah. Um, I might, I was contemplating trying to make it to one, at least one day. Cause there's a couple of bucket list bands that are playing refused and the hives, a couple of bands I've never seen. So I have I have some excuses to go. I think it'll just it'll just uh depend on kind of timing and, you know. Plus she's young, she won't stuff. remember. Right. Yeah, you, exactly. If you leave for a day. <laughs> That's right. That I mean the the goal is to eventually in a few years, you know, get her a set of little headphones and do a little family trip there. So that's 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 the plan at some point, but uh, I'll see if I can make it this year. It's not it's not do or die, but I, you know, I would love to see the hives that refused, so yeah, and a lot of festivals are making it easier to bring your kids. I know yeah. I think it's Warp Tour, either the parents get in free or something like that. If you yeah, it's like yeah. with Warp Tour, it's more of a bring your parent and it's right, like exactly. a parent daycare they have yep. there and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah so I remember that. That's been a pretty cool thing they've been doing. And I mean, a lot of festivals are not safe for some children like right. you know you probably don't want to take them down to fest or something like sure. that yeah yeah but yeah. you know the the calmer festivals are kid friendly so yeah when we did warp tour um i remember the parent daycare looking inside some of the dates it was literally just like a tent and like some chairs and some waters and i was like this sucks why would yeah. anyone do this but now i've seen like pictures in the past years where it's like they have like actual you know stuff for them to enjoy just like you know tv or game like stuff for them to like do all day because before i was like you look like you're in an internment camp or something why would anyone <laughs> do this but i think now they've upped their game and they're actually helping the parents out the get the poor parents who are sitting out there all day long waiting for their kids yeah so what is your day job is that music related at all 
It is not music related. Okay. Um, so I am, my fancy schmancy title is Senior Digital AV Designer, which is basically code for uh, videographer, video editor, and uh, motion graphics designer. And I work for a company that uh, is the on-site group for an insurance company. So all the stuff I do is for an insurance company. So it's super sexy and wild. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, so I've been doing that for like four years now. Because um, when I le- actually right after, right after Jam Dreams, I left the band to go finish school and got uh, got my degree in uh, arts technology, which is like graphic design, video, audio, right? Kind of like a hodgepodge of all kinds of stuff. Um, and then after that, I just started doing video editing, and yeah, so I graduated 2011. So yeah, I've been working outside of that for like five ish years. So yeah. So what I've been doing, it is non-music related completely, which <laughs> is kind of, you know, it's kind of nice after you do music stuff for, a, you know, I, I didn't do it for a super long time, but a lot of my life was music. So it was nice to not have to do any of the music for a while, but now it makes me crave doing it even more. So kind of just boomerangs you right back to it. Yeah. And I mean, it's Th- probably the podcast. <laughs> it's probably a lot easier to find jobs outside of the music industry as well because yeah. as someone who majored in music industry i mean i quit my desk job which i'm sure i've mentioned on here more times than i can count but it was i <laughs> didn't make it quite a year and it was at a music company but it wasn't exactly what i wanted to be doing because i much prefer to do like publicity marketing that sort of stuff like so still sitting at a desk but yeah different things you know i'm not sitting here with spreadsheets that all look the same or whatever you know and i mean i have nothing against spreadsheets i like using them it's just eight (laughs) hours a day of spreadsheets is a lot of spreadsheets for one person a lot of excel yeah and they have you know 40 50 people doing the same thing as i was or maybe not that many people but it's a good chunk of people who just kind of sit there and We were like robots all day. And I mean, it was a great first job. And I think it kind of helped me realize what some of the expectations are on the business side of the industry. So now basically what I'm doing is living at home, still looking for a job, kind of doing freelance (laughs) stuff when I can get it. And this is now almost seven months later. Okay. So it's a very slow process getting a job in the music industry sometimes. Well, it sounds like you're in a band yourself. Basically, without having to be able to play any instruments. <laughs> exactly. It's not, pretty much the music industry is everybody's just kind of in, I mean, unless unless you already made your, your way and made your money, I mean, everyone's kind of in the same position, just kind of, you know, in the trenches, just try, yeah. <laughs> trying to get the next big thing. It's like you kind of have a job, but you kind of don't. So. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So you have to uh, live, live in the glamour and the uh, fact that you can you know, get into shows free or hang out with, make friends with bands you like and that you gotta, it's, it's kind of one of those, one of those things of like, you can do what you love and, you know, make less money and have these other perks that are fulfilling or, you know, you can go the other way. So it's, I, I mean, I get it. I did it for a long time and yeah. it, it, it's, it's, it was one of the absolute best experiences of my life. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's no joke. You, you gotta earn everything and you get, you get kicked in the ego constantly. So <laughs> <laughs> I feel you. Yeah. And I think that about covers it for as far as, you know, questions I had for you. But before we go, 
Is there anything you can tell us about what's upcoming with the Record Podcast? Any guests you have coming up? Yeah, you know, uh, talking to someone who who runs probably the most amateurish and non-planned podcast. <laughs> is, uh, I don't have a lot of answers for that, but um, yeah, for a while I had a lot of people stocked up, and then uh, then baby stuff got in the way, so then I kind of fell behind. But now. This past weekend, uh, I knocked out a couple. I just did. Um, oh, I'm going to show my hand for all my thousands of listeners. <laughs> um, no, so I just recorded one with. Um, what, uh, what's the next one coming out? Uh, oh God, I just got done editing it. How can I? How can I forget? Um, well, one of them is going to be with uh, Mikey Russell, who's from the band Wax on Radio. Okay. Um, he's been in all kinds of Chicago bands. He's kind of just a, a road warrior. Um, well, the other one I just put out was with Keith, Keith Layton of, uh, Empire Empire and, and, um, doing this one with you. So I'll release a little chunk of this on mine. And, uh, tomorrow night I'm going to try my first in person with one of my good buddies. Uh, his name's Matt Sheck. He, uh, he, we used to be in a band from Chicago called Flowers for Dorian and he, um, runs his own clothing kind of art company called Slapass Creations. And he's also, one of my absolute best friends, known since fifth grade. He was the best man at my wedding. So we're gonna we're gonna give it a whirl. I don't have my other mic is just a USB mic, so we'll see. <laughs> we'll kind of see how yeah. it goes. But uh, but yeah, so that's kind of what's in the can now. Now that um, uh, right right now my schedule is kind of dependent on my wife works overnight. So once the baby's asleep, if someone's available to do it, I'll just kind of be sputtering along and seeing who's available on Facebook at random times. I have a, I have a long list of people to get through that I want to interview, but it's just right. all kind of like haphazard. <laughs> so it's uh, I like to keep it spicy is, is how I think of it. Yeah. And I mean, like you, I had a bunch stacked up for a while and I'm finally to the point where it's like I can schedule them at a more normal pace. Like, yeah. you know, we're recording this Thursday the new episode just came out today and then this will come out next Thursday so it's like I'm kind of more on a weekly schedule with this which I prefer because doing this and having it come out every Thursday when I would have like two or three podcasts recorded I was like okay wait which one is coming out this Thursday and which one is what week are we on are we on a regular episode interview episode you know and with doing sports up and having to edit that right away it's like easier for me to just kind of do things as they come so i do not have the next guest episode scheduled i probably need to figure out when that will be i think it'll be (laughs) you know the first week of august and i have no clue who i will have on it so i'm at that kind of same point as you where it's like yeah who knows what's going to happen with the podcast for the guest episodes at this point could be someone I know could be someone I've never talked to in my life so we'll have to see and I definitely want to thank you for coming on and yeah absolutely it doesn't seem like your daughter has woken up so that was a plus she has not she she yeah she's still just knocked out in her crib so it all it all worked out well awesome well like I said thank you and thank you to all of our listeners as always enjoy the rest of your day thank you appreciate it